Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind, Healthy Life with your host Avik. This podcast is all about exploring the latest research, sharing personal stories and providing personal tips for improving our mental health and well-being. Each episodes will be joined by experts in the field of mental health as well as individuals who have experienced the transformative power of a healthy mind firsthand. Together we will dive into a range of topics from managing stress and anxiety to building resilience and cultivating happiness. So, join us on this journey to discover new ways to take care of our minds, bodies and souls and let's work together to create a healthier, happier world one episode at a time. So, let's get started. Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind Healthy Life the podcast dedicated to exploring the various aspects of mental health and empowering individuals to lead fulfilling lives I am your host Avik and in each episode we'll dive deep into conversations about mental well-being share inspiring stories and provide practical tips for cultivating a healthy mind in today's episode we have a remarkable guest who has overcome significant challenges and embraced a life of resilience and hope joining us is steve wilson a 74 year old male who has spent a lifetime in the retail clothing business so steve's journey with bipolar disorder began at the young age of 22 when he was diagnosed with this complex mental health condition in his own words as a normal energetic boy of 9 i never imagined the horror i would experience in just a few short months that would lead me into a life of despair dealing with bipolar disorder Despite the challenges he faced, Steve's story is one of the resilience and strength. So throughout his life, he has persevered and navigated the ups and downs and found the ways to thrive despite the obstacles thrown his way. Today, he's here to share his experiences, insights, and the lessons. he has learned on his journey towards healing and well-being join me in giving a warm welcome to our guest steve wilson steve thank you for joining us today your journey and the wisdom you have gained along the way will undoubtedly inspire and encourage our listeners so welcome steve thank you avik i appreciate being here Uh, I just want to say that um, my bipolar, I don't really know when it started. Uh, I have a feeling it started when I was about nine, like you read that sentence, um, because I was sexually assaulted when I was nine. And I believe that and other, um, other things became the catalysts for my bipolar and I suffered with bipolar I actually got um diagnosed in 78 
after a misdiagnosis in 72 that I was just clinically depressed. So um, the actual diagnosis was 78, but I also spent from when I was nine to when I got my diagnosis uh, significantly in a period of depression and all the things that go with it. And in 78, uh, after they made the misdiagnosis and got me on the right track, I was able to get the right meds because none of the meds for depression work. They're two different types of meds. And uh, I got the uh, medicine called lithium, and that started me a fair amount on my way back to recovery. But even with the lithium, it took until the year 2000, so that's 22 more years, to when I feel that I am in damn good uh, remission. Okay. <clears throat> wow. So that's, uh, I know it's a very painful story, but uh, thing uh, it strikes my mind, like even after happening, there's a lot of changes uh, in your past, and uh, you have managed to overcome those things. So what steps did you took to seek help and receive a diagnosis? Yes. Um, the big, uh, there are two really big things that helped me on my recovery. One was one-to-one -one therapy, very effective. But without proper psych medication, I never would have made it through. Um, I live with a cocktail of medications, meaning not just one, but I'm on four uh, psych medications that keep me in control and very much normal for the last 23 years. Um, when I was at my worst, which was in 1970 to 1978, mm -hmm. uh, couldn't keep a job, had a bad confrontation with my father, wanted to commit suicide, although I never tried. Um, you know, it was just a horrible time, and my mind was not my own. My mind continually told me to kill myself. Um, I have the same thoughts rambling through my head all the time that I couldn't get rid of. That's called ruminations. And for those uh, eight years before the uh, lithium were my darkest times. And they were really brutal. Um, for one instance, I can tell you that uh, my mind was so controlled that I, I got married in 1972. And the next morning, my mind told me to get out of the marriage and let her go. And so I went to her and said, my mind is telling me that we've got to break up. I just want you to know that. And that's kind of how my mind worked all those years. I couldn't keep a job because uh, oh, a lot of the times I was too bored. A lot of times I got mad and yelled at my boss. And I was just all over the place. And it was it was all because 
my mind wasn't my own. Um, terrible, terrible disease to have. Um, but as time went on and I got the lithium, I was able to calm down enough so I could adjust to working life. And I went into business with my father, and that was pretty much a disaster. And everything just went along after that with episode after episode. But uh, as the lithium kicked in, and then I finally went to Lamictal uh, to replace it because the lithium had uh, damaged my kidney. Um, and then I got the medication called Paxil to stop my ruminations mm. in uh, in that 2000 era. Then I was able to get back in shape. Understood. So I can understand the pain you've been through. So, but I, I guess listeners uh, or maybe uh, someone who maybe they are into same phase right now or uh, have gone through this uh, phase or challenges i guess your uh, experience will help them to uh, understand and recover better so another thing is bipolar disorder is often characterized by depressive and maniac episodes so could you explain that what these episodes are like for you personally and how they impact your daily life. You know, when I tell people what I feel like when I'm really in the midst of being really deeply depressed, they don't get it. It is a feeling that you cannot understand unless you've gone through it. I can tell you, oh, I feel worthless. I feel that nobody loves me. I feel that I'm a failure and all that. But that just scratches the surface. Depression and bipolar take you down to where sooner or later, if you're unlucky, you'll get all the suicidal aviations and you'll have to fight like hell to keep from doing something to yourself. I never tried to kill myself because once I got the lithium in 78, all the suicidal ide ideations went away. But I can tell you that there are people who live with these suicidal ideations and some of them do it. Um, and they have to live with these suicidal ideations all their lives. Now, when you have a suicidal ideation, you've got to fight like hell to put it back, get rid of it. And that's why I tell you that when I tell people what it, what it's like, they'll go, oh, I know what you're talking about. They have no idea. It is awful. I understand. Like, yes, uh, but, but thankfully you, you haven't tried it. And I, I believe um, society uh, thinking is not the solution. Uh, there are a lot of other options um, you can seek help, you can uh, go ahead and uh, look out for free resources, or maybe you can go to a an, go to an expert who can help you. The what? Do what? What say? So I said, like, uh, I'm just uh, saying to the listeners that 
uh, societal thing is not the solution. So there are a lot of other resources available. You can read out, you can reach out to people who can guide you better, who can uh, care for you. Or maybe you can uh, visit an expert also. So do not try uh, this uh, these things. Uh, it, 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 it's not the solution, I would say. So like Mrs. Steve, like uh, the thing is, uh, bipolar disorder effect, affects always. I believe it always affects the relationships. Like you mentioned. Uh, about during your marriage, what kind of thoughts uh, you are getting. So uh, I, I do not want to get into the personal thing, but just to understand, like, including your marriage and relationship, were there any effects it, you uh, realized because of uh, the symptoms? Say that again. So I'm saying like uh, bipolar disorders, uh, affects the relationships now uh, like as i mentioned like you you also mentioned that uh, you have uh, faced this kind of scenarios thinkings uh, after your marriage but just to understand not getting into personal but just to understand did you experienced any effect uh, in your marriage or in your relationships? Uh, yes. Now, first of all, I want to start with, even though I told my wife we should have not gotten married, we've been married for 50 years. She has stood with me and fought with me all these years after while I've gone through what I've had to go through. Um, we are just like every other couple ups and downs, but mostly ups for us anyway. But when my um, bipolar really affected my relationships was when I was in high school and college. Um, I remember I told you I was sexually assaulted. Yeah. That comes into play with my with my relationships. But uh, I was with a fair amount of women in my early years, and one of the most haunting things to me was that when I could not perform sexually. Um, I just couldn't. No matter what the circumstance and how hot it was getting. Now, I don't mean that I couldn't perform because I couldn't get an erection. I mean, it was in my mind. And that's why I say that the sexual assault in some ways led to my uh, depression and bipolar. So it was very, very frustrating. It wasn't just frustrating for me. It was frustrating for the women. And I can remember just being there and going, I feel nothing, nothing. So I really don't know what happened. And of course, all those relationships went to bust. And uh, luckily, things got better. And I was able to perform because I found my wife. And we fell pretty much deeply in love from the beginning. Uh, I think it's important here to tell you that, and we have, we've skipped over this, but um, bipolar comes in two parts. Uh, the type that I had is bipolar one. 
I mean, excuse me, bipolar two. And uh, it's when the depression really kicks in. Mm-hmm. It's very low lows. And when I was able to get out of it, I want you to know there's another thing. Bipolar comes in waves. You don't stay completely down all the time. It may last a month. It may last a week. It may last a year. But eventually you've got your own cycle and you'll cycle out of it. And then you'll, as soon as you cycle out of it, you'll go into um, kind of a little bit higher than normal, but not what actually bipolar one is, is mania. I've never had mania, uh, but it, I, I, and the facilitator for two mental health uh, support groups out here in Phoenix, and several of my people have had mania, and as they describe it, it's a feeling of being totally in control. Everything is perfect. You can't sleep. Sometimes you can't eat. But you spend all your money, you ruin your relationships, you're on a high. And it's it's awful. But as I said, I've seen it from my people, but I've never experienced it. I have seen where people in mania come down. They're thousands of dollars in debt. Uh, They've ruined their love life. Uh, Anything can happen. So that's bipolar one. So I don't know what the split is between bipolar one and bipolar two, but it's at least 50, 50. Okay. Uh, so that'll kind of describe what happens in either of the uh, bipolar types. Understood. Understood. So, so uh, as I understand about bipolar one and two, there's a chance of 50, 50 thing. So what coping strategies uh, have you found to be effective in uh, managing the ups and downs of bipolar disorder? Well, I want you to know that uh, even though we are in 2023, uh, the ability to have a grasp and control of mental health illness is still, in my opinion, in the dark ages. Now, when I was really bad in the 50s and 60s and 70s, there were very few medications. A lot of people just got put into institutions. I was in the hospital for three weeks in 1971, and the place I went to wasn't very bad, but some of these places back then were real hell holes. So as we've advanced somewhat um, the problem is there are a lot of medications but they don't all work for everybody in fact the average is that 50 percent of the people who take the medications get help the other 50 percent don't respond to the medications and so they're continually battling and there are um different methods of helping people who don't respond to the drugs um there's iop which is an intensive outpatient um there is cb um 
P, which is uh, cognitive bipolar or uh, behavioral, and there's EDP, and then probably r ranking right up there with those things to help people are support groups. Yeah. And I run two of them. And the best thing that comes from support groups is we don't judge anybody. We don't tell anybody what to do. We can't give them any medication. But what we can do is offer a perspective on the facts that the person is not alone, that there are a lot of people suffering, and we can just make them feel better. We talk about things that they won't talk to anybody else about. So I think they're very powerful and very needed. Uh, I will say that in my groups, a high percentage of the people in my groups, and I don't know what that percentage is, um, have become the, the mental, mentally ill because of sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, or a combination of all those. Um, it's just a fact that there are a lot of bad people out there who take advantage of nine-year-old kids and they walk away or they continue doing it and they don't suffer, but the recipient's life is ruined. We try to, in my groups, give people a place to talk about you know, what they've gone through. Some will never open up, but several have. And some of the stories I listen to are horrible, such as sex trafficking, mm. uh, years of abuse from parents or relatives. Uh, you know, it goes on and on. So... If you think of a person being mentally ill and the stigma in the world is so go take a walk, you'll get better. People should realize that there's a lot of reasons that people suffer this way and they can't imagine what they've gone through. But they they should quit thinking that it's okay, you'll get over it. Because it takes years. Understand. So uh, I, I can understand, but I don't know like uh, what to say and how to react. But uh, things should not happen like this. And uh, I know, I know, it's it, it's very very painful. It's uh, it can't be expressed. So yes. Along with this, uh, can you can you share some insights into? importance of finding the right balance in medication and how it has contributed to your overall well-being? Well, one thing that bothers me a bunch is that a lot of people, and I mean a lot of hmm. bipolar and depression people, uh, schizophrenic, so on, won't take control of their treatment. I have a lot of people who say, I'm not going to take drugs, period. I never take drugs. Well, how the hell are you going to get better if you don't take them? The other segment of people say, well, I tried them. They didn't work right away, so I gave up on them. Well, it takes three or four weeks 
for the drugs to start working. So how can you give them up in two days? And I think um, maybe they don't understand the way that treatment goes. Um, as far as I've said it before, um, it takes a careful uh, regimen set up by your psychiatrist that takes, I hate to tell you, but sometimes years and years and years to develop because of the way drugs many times don't help out. But the psychiatrist has got to strive for that cocktail of medications that work. Um, when I was in the hospital in 1971 for three weeks, their approach was medication, but there wasn't much, and work. They believed that working hard could help relieve those depressive thoughts and get you better. So what I had to do is every day I'd get up, we'd do calisthenics, we'd run, and then we'd go to our various jobs. One I had to do was uh, shovel stone and make a pathway through the woods. Uh, for another few days, I had to take a sigh and cut down a bunch of weeds for hours. And uh, then I had to erect a backboard for the basketball court. But they always kept us busy. Um, and it, it helped. It helped get rid of the suicidal thoughts. Mm. Uh, but it was no cure. Okay. But it was better than nothing. Uh, one thing we did was we would go in the art therapy room and each person would get in front of a high desk and there'd be a, uh, a partition in, at the back and it was made out of steel or metal or whatever. And it was about two foot high. They would put a, uh, a mound of clay on the table in front of that partition and your job was to slowly begin throw molding the clay into a ball and throwing it at the metal partition. And the theory was that if after you started a little bit, you'd get going and going and throwing harder and harder and harder, and you would release whatever they were trying to release. And it could get you up to a, a medical high, and then they'd bring you down slowly. So those were the techniques they used back in that day. Some worked a little bit, some didn't work at all. Today, I can tell you there's a lot of the same thing going on. They try a bunch of, well, there's, we're more advanced now. And they can try magnetic and they can try the other things we've talked about here. And they all have their benefits, but... I strongly believe that the only way you can get into remission, and I want to tell you, there's no cure for bipolar, none. So it's with you for the rest of your life. It's whether you can have a good life even while dealing with bipolar. But um, I forget what I was going to say. Well, it doesn't, doesn't make any difference. Um, one of the things that bothers me the most is that, as I said before, the people won't go completely in the process to get better. And 
There's another thing. We are having a shortage of therapists and psychiatrists these days, mainly because of the insurance structure and the fact that they can't make as much money mm-hmm. if they take the insurance and they can't make a, a good living. And if they go to cash only, that throws out some people who can't afford it because it's a couple hundred dollars a session. True. So they have to deal with that. And it's very hard to find a psychiatrist or a therapist who the patient gets along with and has trust with. So it's a a tough road, a real tough road. And I'm telling you, you can make it, but you've got to commit totally. Agree with you. So, like... uh... Uh, like uh, also uh, one thing is coming to my mind like uh, like the individuals uh, for the individuals who uh, have recently been diagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder and maybe feeling uh, overwhelmed or uncertain about their future so what advice would you give to them well, the first thing i would do was uh, i would not waste my time trying to figure out what's wrong, I would realize that something in my head was not going right, and I would seek uh, the help of a psychiatrist or a therapist. Now, remember, only the psychiatrist can prescribe medications. The therapist or the psychologist is just talk therapy. That's the first thing I do. The second thing I would do was once I found the right psychiatrist and therapist, I would follow their instructions to the T. But here's the thing. Only the patient knows how effective the drug's going to be after they've taken it for at least a month. If the medication is not helping and you've given it sufficient time to be helping the patient has to speak up to the psychiatrist and say this isn't helping let's try something else if you don't advocate for yourself and you don't push for yourself um, you'll regret it Uh, i believe the one of the most important things that helped me was exercise. Okay. An old exercise. Mm-hmm. I'm a swimmer. I would swim a half mile every day. Uh, I would walk. I was a runner. All these things help. Uh, you can lift weights. You can jog. You can do the uh, machines. Do whatever but spend at least an hour a day, every day that you can, doing physical exercising. It helps a bunch. Great. Uh, the next thing I would probably do is um, take care of my diet. Don't drink too much caffeine. Um, you know, protein is great, but it can get too high if you like take those uh, energy drinks, be careful. Um, 
And then if the medication is not working, you go into the other things. And there are also tools you can use. You can do deep breathing. That helps a bunch. Um, one of the two of the people, I think, in my groups had spinners. They're little circular things that go round and round and round. And when they get in a stress position, they flip those things and it keeps them calm. Um, so that's, and th there are a lot of things that can help. People just, when they start out, don't have a clue what to do. That's why you've got to go to a therapist. True, true. Like, thank you for just mentioning, uh, or uh, rather I would say, uh, sharing your advice. Uh, and also you have uh, mentioned about uh, the approach for self-care and uh, maintaining the healthy lifestyle so uh, while living with bipolar disorder. So thank you for explaining this uh, to all our listeners. And I guess from your experience, from your uh, insights, uh, it's going to help a lot of people. So I hope so. I have just written a book on my experiences, on my life with bipolar. It's called Teetering on a Tightrope, My Bipolar Journey. And it's available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. My whole life, from nine years old till today, is in chronological order and describes what I went through. You can, I think it's a very good book. It's not long, it's 120 pages. But it will show you what can happen throughout your life, which was my life. Wouldn't be the same for you. And you can see what can happen. Great, great, great. I guess I'll, I'll definitely uh, like share this uh, book link uh, into the podcast uh, description so that it becomes easier for people uh, to look into. And uh, I, I also believe if they read the book, they will understand much better. So, uh, so, uh, so, like, I'll, I'll definitely add the link into the uh, description of the podcast. And that concludes our insightful conversation with Steve on navigating the ups and downs of bipolar disorder. Steve, uh, we are incredibly grateful for your openness, resilience, and the wisdom you have shared with us today. So well, thank you. I appreciate being here. Um, I think the, the real reason I wrote the book is to get this stigma ended about mental health is a bunch of crap. It is very much, you know, it's in 20 percent of the world's population. That's a lot. That's billions. So that's what my goal was in this book to get people to kind of realize is it's not a fake thing and that uh, people really go through it. Correct. Correct. That's true. So like, like as well as I was also mentioning, like throughout this episode, uh, we have actually gained valuable insights into the symptoms and challenges associated with bipolar disorder, as well as effective coping strategies. So Steve's journey reminds us that with proper support, self-care, and the right tools, individuals with bipolar disorder can lead fulfilling lives. So as we wrap up, 
I want to extend a heartfelt reminder to our listeners. Like if you or someone you know is dealing with bipolar disorder or any other mental health condition, remember that seeking professional help and building a strong support system is very, very essential. You are not alone and there is hope for a healthier, happier future. I would like to express my sincere gratitude to all of you for joining us on this episode of Healthy Mind, Healthy Life podcast. We hope that this episode has provided you with a deeper understanding of bipolar disorder and the tools that navigate its challenges. So if you found this episode valuable, please share it with others who may benefit from this information. Together, we can continue spreading awareness and fostering a more supportive and compassionate society. So stay tuned for our next episode and where we will continue exploring various aspects of mental health, well-being, and the journey to a healthier mind and healthier life. Until then, remember to prioritize self-care, as I always mention, support when needed, and always, always, always prioritize your mental well-being. So thank you for listening and take care. And thank you, Steve, for joining this show and making a great episode for our listeners. Thank you.